Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Pabst Blue Ribbon. Always smooth, always refreshing. Gold medal winner at the 2016 Great American Beer Festival. When you're this good, quality always comes through. PBR Me. ASAP. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Purple Podcast. We are back in what has been a busy week of Vikings free agency. Things have started to pick up since last we left you, dear listeners. We are back with a three-man weave. I I think that's still a thing as we get into March Madness. It's an old-fashioned basketball term. Look it up, kids. Anyway, I'm Ben Gessling from ESPN, joined by Matthew Collar and Judd Zolgad once again from 1500 ESPN. Judd is back from vacation, which probably meant he was at home like sipping a Coors Light, watching uh, conference tournaments or something. You got me all but, wrong, uh, man. New York City. Sipping Yingling, watching conference tournaments. That's right. Okay, correct. Okay, so I got part of it right. But anyway, Judd's back. Uh, plenty to talk about. We will start with the departure of uh, one Cordero Patterson, who signed a deal with the Oakland Raiders. I think they're still in Oakland, right? Uh, that will give him, I think it's like $5 million guaranteed this year, and he can void. It's a two-year deal that he can void if he catches 65 passes or plays 65% of the time, for those of you who like to keep score of contract minutia, which is probably about two of you. But anyway, Patterson, whom the Vikings traded four picks to get in 2013, whom they said at the time was going to be the successor to Percy Harvin, I went back and looked up the quotes, is gone after four years, didn't quite live up to expectations. Judd, what's your take on it as a guy that's watched a lot of uh, Vikings drafts over the years? Uh, my take is the fact that uh, that the Vikings, in a year in which they made a very shrewd trade, if you go back, with uh, the Seattle Seahawks yes, in dealing Percy Harvin, and in a draft where they had taken Sharif Floyd and Xavier Rhodes and probably should have said, okay, that, that's good. What are we going to do in the next round? Yep. Instead, uh, Rick Spielman, in his desire to Sprinting find a receiver. away from the press yes, conference podium. I was there. I yes. was there. And, what a uh, night it was. Tom West, an assistant PR guy, basically told Rick, you have a call you have to take. And Rick said, okay, I'll come back and talk later. And he sprinted out. Uh, in retrospect, he should have told Tom, you know what? Just let that call pass. <laughs> Four draft picks for a guy who was a dynamic kick returner and really nothing more. And whether that's a combination of Patterson's fault because he couldn't run routes, the Vikings' fault because they got frustrated and didn't incorporate him, no matter what, 
it is a swing and a miss by the Vikings in a big way. And do not try and convince me that uh, that that returning kicks made Cordell Patterson this great player. When you make that trade that night, you were planning to replace Percy Harvin. You didn't come close to yeah. doing it. And it'll be very interesting, guys, to see what Patterson goes to Oakland and does now. Because if Patterson's successful there, the indictment is going to be solely on the Vikings. On Norv Turner. And Norv Turner and the fact that they never could basically accept the fact that he might have been a raw player. He was certainly not an accomplished player. But uh, Cordero Patterson is going to go as a big swing and a miss, in my opinion, in the Rick Spielman draft resume. Hey, hey, Rick, Bill Belichick's on the phone. He wants to make a trade for some draft picks for a receiver that's going to wear number 84. Stop me if you've heard this one before. Yeah, exactly. No, Maybe let that go to voicemail. Well, I think anytime you're trading that many draft picks for somebody, you are putting yourself at major, major risk. <clears throat> RG3, yeah. Carson Wentz. I mean, even when it's a quarterback, it's still a huge, Jared huge Goff. risk. Yeah, Jared Goff, right. And when it's a wide receiver, it's borderline insane. Now, it worked out pretty well for Atlanta and Julio Jones, but uh, with this one, with a receiver with so many flaws, I mean, at the time, Julio Jones is thought of as being the next elite wide receiver, and that's what he turned out to be. But with Cordero Patterson, where you are in that draft, you're only in the range of these are probably flawed players in some way or another that you have to hope work out. So when you're trading that many picks up to get a player in that position, that's probably too big of a risk that that they took there. But with Patterson, I really thought there was a chance that we would see him back. I, I knew that where he was uh, going was probably just going to be the team that offered him the most money. And uh, looking at the wide receiver market, it makes sense that he didn't get that much because receivers have not been getting paid. But last year, I thought there was, under Pat Shermer, a better approach to using him, acknowledging that he cannot run routes. A A guy, a Raiders reporter, was doing some film look at his routes, and they're just as bad as they always were. I mean, last year... But finding ways to get him the ball sure. and making him a playmaker, it is a failure on Norv Turner for uh, several years to not be able to find ways to use this player. And I did think that if he came back, they were going to find even more ways to use him. And so now what I think of is it is a, a failed draft pick because of how much you spent to get him. If that was just a regular first rounder, you might go, ah, well, no, you know, some some you win, some you lose. But you gave up that much. But now you've also opened up by not paying him what Oakland did to bring him back. It seemed he had interest to come back by every social media outlet in existence. And stuff. Uh, and stuff. Edited version. Yes. Um, but so now you've Ed-ish. opened up a gap with playmakers on your offense where you had a dangerous guy that other teams needed to game plan for and needed to worry about an end around or a run or a screen or a handoff. To now what? I mean, there are not many options left in the free agent market. You're basically looking at either a limited player in that role or a, a, you know, a draft pick that you're just taking a swing on. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. I've heard from a few people in the last day or so. I wrote something about this yesterday, kind of along the lines of what we're talking about. And I had a few people say, well... He was a two-time All-Pro. He he led the lead in kick or, kick returns three times. He was great, and I, I, you know, it basically were saying it wasn't a total whiff. I, I, like, no, it okay, is okay. No, it's I, a total I, whiff. Yeah, I agree, and I, I I guess I can entertain that line of thinking for a second. But the fact that you gave up what you did, you wanted this guy to be a star, and here is what they said the night they took him. I, 
went back and, and had to look this stuff up just because I was, you know, wanted to make sure the context of it was right. Spielman said at the time, when you're looking at him and we're evaluating him, not only is he going to give you a receiver you can bring along under the guidance of Greg Jennings, <clears throat> uh, under Coach Stewart, <laughs> under Bill Musgrave, who turned out to be the best offensive coordinator he had for Patterson's purposes, but also replacing someone who is very difficult to replace when we traded Percy. Remember, they had traded Percy Harvin a month before. We feel this guy can do just as much as Percy can as a returner. We are excited not only what he can bring as a receiver, but also what he could potentially bring as a returner as well. That is what Patterson eventually ended up giving them, not the receiver part. Spielman got asked later in that press conference, was there another guy that you would have traded back into the first round to get had Patterson but take it? Remember, they needed a linebacker at the time. I remember when that trade got made, there yes. was a lot of thought, oh, boy, here comes Manti Teo. Yes, you're right. Uh, Spielman said, no, there was not another player we would have traded back for. So to say, like, well, we thought he was going to be a kick returner, and we, you don't give up that much to just get a kick returner. They thought this guy was going to be a transformational piece of their offense, and it looked like for a year that he could have been, and, and we should here probably mention the other factors, the fact that he had three coordinators in four years, the fact that one of those two wanted to make him a traditional receiver or go sit on the end of the bench and think about what you've done, and the fact that when he was at his best, teams had to worry about Adrian Peterson first. They they didn't have to do that, really. In 14, they didn't have to. In 15, Patterson wasn't a factor. And in 16, they didn't have to. So that also played into it. But in the end, the pick didn't work. Beyond blaming Norv, how much of this also uh, has to fall on the desk of uh, Zimmer in this sense? You know, he's the one that thought after his first year here, I've got a guy for, for Patterson to work with, which I think we all now believe to be Michael Irvin. It was. Correct? It, okay. It, 100% was Michael Irvin. And supposedly what happened was those two met at the Super Bowl, yep. and Michael offered to help or assist, and Cordero said, you know what, dog? Thanks very much. Yeah. I think I think I've heard enough. I'm good. Uh, and then Cordero went and worked with the guy out west on his conditioning. Hell's trainer, which was never in question. Yeah. But how much beyond Norv? How much do we think the frustration also lied with Zimmer in the sense that this strikes me now? Now those knowing- players that work on their conditioning instead of football specific stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't think of anybody else that fits in that. Exactly, and but that's my point. Category, but, but that's my you know, point. It can be a bugaboo. You so if you so we now know enough about Zim to know if you tick him off, he doesn't forget about it. Yeah, I just, in addition to Norv, I wonder how much Patterson's refusal that year to go work uh, with Irvin cost him, as far as Mike saying, okay, if you're going to do it your way, I'm doing it my way, and you're not playing. Well, and I think, I mean, after that first year where Patterson kind of got phased out of the offense halfway through the season, you had, I remember a couple of us caught Greg Jennings coming out of the locker room after the season finale that year at TCF Bank Stadium, and he said, and he kind of, he sounded off about it. He said, I want to get together with him in the offseason, and obviously they cut Jennings that offseason, so it never happened, but he said, I want him to watch himself on film with me. I want to work out with him. I want him to see, like, you could think that what you're doing is great, but then you see it on film. And what Jennings was getting at was the stuff that the Vikings have kind of hinted at somewhat publicly, somewhat privately, is that when you need to run a, a route at nine yards and you run it at 11, it doesn't work because this is a timing-based league. And we saw Laquan Treadwell have the same issue on that throw against the Cowboys last year. But Jennings basically said, I want to get with him and, and spell this stuff out. And, and Jennings said something like, as long as I'm here, I will not let him fail. He's got too much talent to fail. But then he also said something about George Stewart quite often says either 
you don't know or you don't care, and most of the time guys know what they're doing wrong, which leaves you don't care. I mean, he, he spelled it out at that point, and that was the year the Vikings first wanted to get him with Michael Irvin. He still had everybody at that point invested in helping him become the guy they thought he could become because they said, okay, this if, if this works, it's going to work great for all of us. And then there was an element of, yeah, you know, thanks, but but I'm good. I'm going to do it my way. You do wonder if they've learned from some of those mistakes in the draft at spotting players who have that mentality, right? I mean, we've heard everything you just said sounded exactly like Mackenzie Alexander, too, Yeah, of a guy who works extremely hard off the field, but he has trouble listening to Terrence Newman, who we'll talk about soon. Uh, but if you can't listen to Terrence Newman about playing the cornerback position, then you can't be helped. And the same thing might go for Michael Irvin. If you don't want to have a conversation, at least to hear what Michael Irvin has to say about your game, then you probably can't be helped. So some of this is definitely on Cordero Patterson. Although, now here's what changes it for me a little bit, is that he clearly did take a different approach this year. Now, whether that was because of the contract or not, I don't know. Now, in an interview with uh, Sports Illustrated, uh, SI Now, he cited a conversation with George Stewart. He said George Stewart pulled him aside and said, you're not going to be in the league if you continue to act this way, basically. <laughs> so uh, he, he says that that was a big factor in, in the change of attitude and him being a gunner, which is kind of how he earned himself back on the field. So there's like the two conversations of why it failed, what percentage is everybody to blame, and it's 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 part Patterson, it's part Zimmer, it's part North Turner, yep. and it's part why did you draft him with with that using that many assets when wide receivers are around? Your two starting wide receivers now are a fifth rounder and an undrafted guy, and they're both really good. So if you can get those guys there, then why were you spending that many assets on a wide receiver? And you knew he was raw. Right. I mean, that was not a surprise. Right. You're a flawed wide receiver. Yes. Right. You knew that. And But if you wash all of the background away and you say, should they have kept this guy on the team? That That's kind of where I'm at with this thing is he wanted to come back. He wasn't paid that much money. Should the Vikings have brought him back? And I think looking at the other options and looking at what he can do and maybe the little group of wide receivers around him, they seem to be close. He's close with Thielen. We know that. They sort of had a crew there that got along really well. Could this have been something that would be beneficial? I thought, even though they found ways to use him last year, I thought there were even there were more that were left out on the field. I mean, he ran the ball seven times last year. Could he have run the ball a lot more than seven times and maybe been better than Matt Asiata at running the ball? I mean, whether it comes to end arounds or lining up in the backfield or whatever else, could could there have been other routes that he could have been used on? Could there have been you know, different ways, different plays to get him the ball uh, last year and then in the future? Because I, I kind of think the answer is yes. But th this entire conversation goes also, Matthew, to how creative are the Vikings going to be with Shermer? And it's a West Coast offense. And my, my guess is by allowing Patterson to walk, this begins to answer the question that we are going to see a West Coast offense. Because if you were going to get creative and you were going to have Peterson play in the backfield and line up at various different places, that that might make some sense. Uh, but we, we've been talking about this for months now, right? And so I think what we're seeing is the fact that they are going to run basically a West Coast offense that's going to be somewhat predictable and that needs people who know exactly what they're doing. Now, I'd like to play a small game. This game, 
in my opinion, would be called, should we indict Rick? Because I would like to go through, starting in 2012, when I when I begin to hold Spielman solely accountable for drafts, okay? Okay. In 2012. Are you you're prosecuting the case here? Or actually, you know what? No, yes. I'm prosecuting the, the case. I will start in 2011. So Brad Childress is gone. Okay. This is Leslie Frazier and Spielman. Now, I'm going to say that, that although in 2011 they were given equal power, that Spielman ran the draft. That Frazier was probably asked. Objection. That's speculative. I just wanted to do Permission that. to treat as hostile. Permission granted. Because here's where I'm going to start. I just wanted to say that. I want to run. It sounded fun. I've seen it on the Law & Order or something. I want to run through for you guys. I didn't even watch Law & Order. I don't know why I said it's that. It's a great show. You, you, you should watch it. We, Ion. That was Manny Acta's ringtone. Sundance. National's manager. It's fantastic. Great show. Anyway, starting in 2011, I want to run through for you guys the wide receivers that the Vikings took. How much do you watch We? In each draft. Oh, We's fantastic. <laughs> Law, and, Law and Order is on, on marathons on We. Watch it all the time. Judd Zolgad, who once on this podcast said how big he is with women, uh, watches We. Anyway, exactly continue. Right. Okay, 2011 in the seventh round, they took one wide receiver. His name was Stephen Burton. He, of course, did not last. He was actually like the Mr. Mankato before Mr. Mankato became a thing. In 2012, in the fourth round, gentlemen, they took Jerry, Jerry Wright, Jerry Wright, who got a contract extension, but now basically is a forgotten man, and Greg Childs, who unfortunately blew out both patellas in a training camp practice. That's 2012. Yep. In 2013, they take Cordero Patterson in the first round. And Tish. And that's it. In 2014, they don't take a wide receiver. In 2015, let's see here, they take Stefan Diggs, which yep. worked out great in, yep. in the fifth round. And then in uh, 2016, last year, they take Laquan Treadwell in the first round and Moritz Boringer in the sixth round, and those are their two wideout picks. Yep. My point is you could make an argument here that since Rick began to run the draft, they do not have a competent receiver that you can solely point to Rick and say he pulled the trigger on that pick. can also point the trigger. You can Diggs also point to him guy. pulling the trigger on the Greg Jennings contract for $18 million. Yep. And I agree this is an important thing to, to bring up about Diggs. From everything we've heard, Scott Turner is the guy that deserves a lot of the credit for Stephon Diggs in the sense that now now that still has to get up the ladder and Spielman ultimately has to make the call. So he ultimately is the guy whose name is on the pick, good or bad. But Scott Turner recruited Stephon Diggs to be a receiver for him at the University of Pittsburgh when Diggs was coming out of high school. And Scott Turner kept that in his mind the whole way through. George Stewart said that Leading up to that draft, Scott Turner was basically in his office every day saying, you have to take a look at this guy to the point where George would see him in the morning and basically cut him off and be like, yeah, I know, I know. It's got to be the Diggs guy. I know, I know. But that was the story that Stewart told fairly readily before Diggs' first training camp is that was kind of a – that Scott Turner was the guy stumping for Diggs as much as anybody. You know, when it comes to draft picks and whether they work out or not, I am a nihilist. I think I I don't believe in any of it. These men are nihilists. I, they yeah, mean no harm. That's right. That's where I was going. The carpet really holds together the room. Um, but I don't believe in any of it. The I rug tied the room I together. I don't believe that anyone, any team, any GM, any scouting staff can predict consistently year after year which players will succeed and which players will fail. Bill Belichick has drafted wide receivers who were horrendous. He's the smartest football mind of a generation, and he's drafted horrendous, 
horrendous wide receivers. So you're so, saying don't buy the narrative that people try to spin about somebody having the draft wired that they know exactly what they're doing all the I, time. I think every fan base thinks their team stinks at the draft. They're probably right and in a lot of right. cases. They are absolutely right because you can go through any team and what you will find is exactly what you just found. You'll go, oh, this fifth-round wide receiver, Antonio Brown, amazing. But then this other guy, I'm sure the Steelers have drafted a bunch of other wide receivers who, who were terrible. So did, did they just know because they were geniuses about Antonio Brown or did they not know when it came to whoever else that they picked? I mean, mm-hmm. we could just play this game all day. When it comes to the Cordero Patterson pick, if they had just selected Cordero Patterson, then I would say, hey, look, you got a guy who's a freak show. How many players in the NFL with the ball in their hands are as scary as Cordero Patterson? There's only a handful. He is in an elite, elite category, and that's why they picked him. Uh, But when it comes to trading everything for him, when it comes to uh, the positions that you select versus your roster, like uh, if you read all those drafts, you wouldn't have found any linemen up front, which I, last time I checked are pretty important. So I think when we're criticizing the There's draft... There's a study showing that they are important to draft <laughs> highly uh, in the draft, I believe. Yes, yes, there is. Uh, yeah. Um, but like Laquan, Laquan Treadwell, like right. at, at the time, Laquan is talked about as a potential top 10 pick, Correct. and he drops to them, so you would say, all right, well, this is a, a high potential high pick yeah. who drops into your spot. Well, great pick, guys. And then it turns out that he doesn't know the difference between 7 and 10 yards running around. Well, okay. I mean, so anyway, I that that's where I always end up with these draft conversations, that when it comes to if we're looking back at Patterson, we can definitely say giving up that much draft capital for one player is just not a smart move. Um, but do they know wide receivers or not? They're, they would say, we're geniuses. We found Adam Thielen. Did you find Adam Thielen? No, we're geniuses. And then we would say, no, you're idiots because you didn't. You know what I mean? So it, it can just go round and round and round. We talked forever. about this the other day with the Adam Thielen thing. But if they knew what they had in Adam Thielen, they don't bring him in on a rookie camp tryout. Right? Oh, sure. I mean, they signed yeah. him at least as an undrafted free agent. Of course agent. they do, yeah. And, so and I, that, I mean, that worked out. And, but. and if we're talking about lower round draft picks, Collar, I tend to agree with the direction that you're going in. But I do find it interesting that when it comes to uh, Rick identifying receivers and we're talking about Treadwell, who might be a complete bust, Patterson did bust, that, that we're talking about high draft picks and which should be the lifeblood of your team. And when you're swinging and missing on the position enough that I can go back to 2011 and document it for you, I do think that's a problem. If it's sixth or or seventh round picks, those guys are going to wash out sometimes. But it is just interesting that they have now had a fairly comprehensive history of this guy having draft picks and having trouble identifying players at that spot. And it's weird because when you draft Patterson, you're bringing him into a situation and you're telling your coaching staff, hey, look, this guy is going to be raw as can be. I mean, he's he if, if you sat down and watched film, you clearly saw that he was not great at at executing routes, that he struggled in areas. And so either the coaching staff is going to be on board and say, OK, that's fine. We can do X, Y and Z with that guy. Or this happens where you hand him off to the coaching staff and for one year he's OK because of Musgrave. And then everyone else says unusable. So that's what I find to be the disconnect potentially between the front office, the GM, and the coaching staff. The guy who was the most cutting edge with Cordero Patterson was the guy with the tiny play card. 
Yeah, which I, at the time, and the, at the time, you you heard stories that year that they basically said this guy can't even practice. Well, that like was... on Wednesdays he would drive them up the wall, and I thought to myself, but he's still got other abilities. Yeah. And basically, Norv came in and threw in the damn towel, and that was it. I mean, even Leslie Frazier, as as genteel as he was, tried to hint a few times that year, like we're going as fast as we can with this guy, like because everybody was screaming about he needs to be on the field more often. But Frazier was like, "Yeah, we're doing about as much as we can." So, what do you got, Collar? Well, no, that when you're talking about whether these things succeed or fail, um, part of the Patterson story that's different than some of the other ones. Laquan Treadwell may not be able to run a route. He just might not want to listen or whatever, right? He, it might just be that he can't play. With Patterson, what makes him interesting is the role that's played by everyone around him and whether the town was able to raise the child in this yeah, case. Yeah, there right? is an element of that, and no if, doubt. Right, and if the front office in drafting a player knows that there are certain issues that this guy has, like maybe that Cordero Patterson won't be winning a Rhodes Scholarship or whatever, what Rhodes Scholar Award? Yes, whatever. Rhodes okay, Scholar. So he won't be doing that anytime soon. I can't even get it right, and I'm accusing him not of not being smart. Won't but, be winning a scholarship named after the guy they drafted just before him. Uh, but uh, <laughs> that's a dad joke. Sorry, that was really wow. bad. That was awful. That was. Where do you even go after that? No, but just um, keep going. Just plow so, through. Just plow through. So it. They, plow through that. But when they picked him, Garbage. they had to know that there were certain shortcomings. And if your coaching staff, next coaching staff after the one that was there when you picked him, is not on the same page with how he's supposed to be used. I mean, how does that happen, I guess? If there's a guy with this much talent and he ends up on the – what did he get, one catch last year? Yeah, I mean, 2015. Yeah. One catch. Yeah, I mean, barely got on field. Like, this is – that would be your management not being on the same page with your coaching staff, with this player. That, to me, is where it's problematic. And there was definitely a feeling uh, after 2013 that – Anything that happened before 2013 is probably not worth paying a lot of attention to because those guys were idiots. I mean, that that was sort of the narrative coming out of there after they got rid of that coaching staff. But that's was, George George still. Well, yes, there was coach, a, there's a few. Transition with that coaching schematically, staff. that was definitely the feeling was, well, these guys don't really know what they're doing, so we can kind of – or or at, at the very least, it's we know what we're doing now, so – and which in some cases certainly turned out to be true on the defensive side of the ball. Right. I, I think we can all. But offense, it certainly didn't. No, it didn't. And, and it's funny that the the last time I believe that they were in the top half of the league on offense or scored even more than like 370 points was the last two years with Bill Musgrave. Now, the last season was just fire wagon kind of, I mean, not fire wagon hockey, but the same kind of thing where, like hey, somebody scored, we got to go back down and, and try to score again. You got in all these crazy games. but And the, I, I suppose in 2012, it was you had Peterson and Harvin, and, and you were able to just ride with that. But they were able to find ways to utilize Patterson in 2013 in a way that they never were able to do again. And, you know, we talk all the time about, oh, this this coordinator's got this pedigree and, and this and that and the other thing. And, and uh, they really have not been as productive on offense as they've been since Musgrave was here also since Peterson was probably last a consistent presence but it is worth noting when we hear all of these things about perceptions of this guy has this pedigree and this guy has that pedigree doesn't always work out that way well and and something too because there's obviously been a lot of consternation about what they just paid out uh to the tackles yeah to bring them aboard and I was talking to Phil about this on the show but something too that I find to be interesting is instead of getting hung up on the players and names i think what we need to look at 
for the last uh, few years as a source of frustration when it comes to Spielman and the Vikings is how they valued positions, right? Yeah. I mean, if you look, and on defense, I think they've done a very good job. Yeah. But if you look on the offensive side of the ball, let's forget a second about who played where and just go with how they allocated their resources towards positions. And when you look at what they have paid Peterson for the last few years, it's irresponsible. I mean, how you can't be looking at your tackles and saying, okay, something's out of whack here. The rest of the league, you know, when we're paying him, what, $18 million guaranteed, and the next highest paid running back has how much guaranteed, like six or something? Yeah. Don't you look at that and start to say, we're doing something wrong here? So to me, I look at it in its totality as far as the offense goes and the roster and depth chart and think that there has to be somebody who says, hold on a second, guys. We're paying a position that used to be a premium spot way too much, and we're not putting our our resources necessarily offensively into where they should go. Don't we need to reverse this or somehow figure out how to do it right? While we are on the subject of the offensive line, I I just saw this come across Twitter, and uh, it's probably worth mentioning, I I guess, maybe not a whole lot more than that. But uh, Pro Football Talk headline, Alex Boone, of course, was on Pro Football Talk Live this morning responding to... Uh, everybody's favorite gadfly, Nelson Peterson, who has been uh, given plenty of opportunities to opine on the state of the Minnesota Vikings uh, in various media outlets lately. We we certainly like to hear what Nelson's what's on Nelson's mind around here. Uh, and he had <laughs> taken some shots at the offensive line. Alex Boone uh, responding to that, and this is uh, quoting from Mike Florio's piece on, on ProFootballTalk.com, uh, to quote Alex Boone. Some of the comments that were made about the offensive lines elsewhere and about our offensive line, and once again, we're throwing low blows, and I'm not sure everybody understands the situation and really wants to go that route. You know what I'm saying? I mean, sometimes we get it, guys. Everybody's pissed off. Let it go, okay? Everybody's in the same boat. We're all pissed. Nobody made it to the playoffs on our team. Everybody's upset about that. So can Adrian help us? Absolutely. He can help any team, and he's a great running back, one of the greatest, but sometimes I wish guys would just think more before they say things. Because sometimes you regret the things you say, and there's two things you can't take back, Florio. Bullets out of a gun and words out of your mouth. Alex Boone oh, responding to Nelson Peterson. That, that is we very Alex Boone right there. a social media beef. Boone being Boone right there, I guess. Uh, well, Wait, one more, uh, there's one more quote here. Okay. I, should, I should read this. Um, so if Peterson returns to the Vikings, will he need to smooth things over with his teammates? Maybe, Boone said. Maybe guys are just upset about it. I think, my perspective, I'd like some clarification on that. If you're a leader, then, you know, you you say it. Don't let other people say it. If you got something to say, you say it. Be a man about it. Well, I would say that Peterson making it so clear in his own interview with ESPN that he dropped the offensive line bit and then his dad dropping the offensive line thing, it's like... You know, there are other players on the team. Your head coach didn't learn not to say certain things in the media, and maybe you shouldn't either. But, I mean, uh, also, I I would say if you're on that offensive line, if you're Alex Boone or Joe Berger, you're the only guys that played a lot last year. Everyone else was hurt. And you're also pretty good. Berger had a great season, I thought. Boone, at the beginning, I think really struggled and then improved as the season went along. And if you're those two guys and you're the ones that are coming back with jobs, you're kind of like, 
come on, everybody else got hurt, guy. You know, if it's someone on your own team criticizing your offensive line, it's like, well, it wasn't good before everyone got hurt, but then we had to play TJ Clemmings and Jeremiah Searles out of position and Brandon Fusco was out for a little bit. And it was just like... And when he was in, he wasn't good. Yeah, right, yes, and exactly. That, that so, is the fatal flaw in the whole it was just injuries argument is that there were a lot of guys that weren't good when they were healthy. But, but I could put myself in his shoes sure, having a sure. former teammate say it. Like, come on, give us a, give us a break, guy. Although, well, and, the, and there, that thought process was definitely in the Peterson camp. I mean, I had some conversations with people in the camp last year, and they were definitely kind of looking at it like, well, this thing needs to get fixed. There is no doubt that they were looking at it saying this is not up to... Yeah, but he played in two and a half games, well, know, too, so I what know. does it matter? But that, but I'm just telling you, that, Adrian, that was listen, the thought process. Adrian's been a lot of things in, in his time here. I can tell you there has not been one day that anyone in that locker room said leader. So yeah. if you think that and there were you, some things last season, that just because like he tried to be that did just because just because well, he's been told, I was going to say just because he is a future Hall of Fame type back who had great years. Adrian Peterson has never been a guy that anyone in that locker room looked to and said, what should we do next, Adrian? Adrian basically said, just block for me. That that's his. Career. Yeah. I mean, there is an element of that, I, I think, where he, I mean, a lot of his M.O. We've kind of seen it is. Let me run. I'm a great running back. Let not me do that, and, and we'll be fine. But uh, it's probably not quite that simple anymore. Let's shift to the other side of the ball. This is Jeff O'Brien, attorney with the Loman Abdo Law Firm, with a case in point sidebar. On May 11, 2016, the Defend Trade Secrets Act went into effect. The act extends the current Economic Espionage Act of 1996, which criminalizes trade secret thefts to the civil arena. This means for the first time, trade secret owners can now bring suit in federal district courts without having to resort to another basis for jurisdiction. While not without critics, the act is a major step forward in the protection of intellectual property in the United States, not least because federal law now fully recognizes four types of intellectual property, patents, copyrights, trademarks, and now trade secrets. Minnesota Statutes Chapter 325C also also provides a civil cause of action in state court for the wrongful misappropriation of trade secrets. If your business has been victimized by the misappropriation of its confidential information, contact an attorney to determine if you have claims under either federal or state law. This is Jeff O'Brien, attorney with the Loman Abdo Law Firm, with a case in point sidebar. Paps Blue Ribbon is always smooth, always refreshing, and the perfect choice at the game or out with friends. And now, add gold to the great PBR tradition, because Paps Blue Ribbon was awarded the gold medal for American-style lager at the 2016 Great American Beer Festival. That makes four gold medals for PBR in the last 11 years. Not bad. It's that gold medal taste that has made Paps Blue Ribbon a Twin Cities favorite. When you're this good, quality always comes through. Go for the gold. PBR me. ASAP. Vikings, of course, bringing Terrence Newman back today for another season at age 39. Uh, speaking of a guy that um, could be in a position to offer guidance to a younger player, we were talking about Greg Jennings before, Mackenzie Alexander certainly is in a position where if he wants to avail, avail himself of the opportunity, you have Terrence Newman, you have Jerry Gray, who was a success, successful defensive back in the league, and you have Mike Zimmer, who began his career in the NFL coaching Deion Sanders and Darren Woodson. So you have a lot of knowledge there to tap into. The question I have for you guys is, number one, will he do it? And number two, which one of these guys is the slot corner next year? Mackenzie Alexander, 
Terrence Newman or somebody else? I think I'm going to go somebody else. I think that they sign a, one more guy, and it really shows us their cards about where they stand with Mackenzie Alexander. Yeah. Because it's the same refrain with Alexander as it is Laquan Treadwell, and the writing is on the wall for both of those guys after one year. It's the same. They work really hard, and we believe that they can be good. And that, to me, does not really shine a whole lot of confidence. Uh, I did ask... Zimmer specifically why he liked Treadwell and he did give me an answer about how he gets in and out of routes but with Alexander we haven't seen a whole lot of that uh, Zimmer said he believes he's talented like okay yeah. but fundamentally I wonder what you guys think about this just from people you've known in your life people who don't listen to advice in general or don't like to listen to other people People who don't, they think they've got all the answers. Like, do they ever change when it comes to that? And maybe this is a personality trait that the Vikings need to try and avoid when it comes to drafting in the future. I mean, because I tend to think that the people who don't know and don't want to know don't want to hear you even tell them. And if you can't listen to Terrence Newman, if it's Mackenzie Alexander, who will you listen to? God, I, think I mean, the, like, what, who would have to talk to you if Terrence Newman? There's is a pretty not good a guy support system to. there. Here's the fa- right. here's the fatal Viking flaw. I think the Vikings are the, and and I think this runs rampant throughout the league. But the Vikings are as guilty of this as any team. I think the Vikings are perpetually the girl who thinks they're going to turn the bad boy around. So they run these guys through testing, and they say, well, we can change it. We can fix them. Yeah, because, because we, we know that if the Vikings, if Spielman's telling the truth, they do their due, due diligence on every one of these kids, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this should not be a question of, well, we got Cordell Patterson in the building, and darn it, we found out he doesn't listen or he doesn't know. You supposedly are telling us you do all that work. So the only conclusion that we can come to is this is an organization that has drafted enough guys with shortcomings that include – their willingness to listen that we're looking at a team that is the that is the girl that says he might be a bad boy but he'll dress the way that I want for me that's the <laughs> vikings seriously patterson treadwell with routes right, right. You're, you're always taking in these which you perceive to be very talented guys mm-hmm. but they have issues and then and, and there's a level of haughtiness with this team that it makes sense to me that they would do that well but and that to, to answer your question, caller, I think that is one of the main problems here is that they perpetually think they can turn these people around. Well, and it, go back to what Blake Barrett said when he was in here with us a few weeks ago. A lot of times you have these teams, as he put it, preparing for they're cramming for a test that they don't really know how to cram for. They don't have the sure. right research. They don't ask the right questions. In a lot of cases, they're not spending enough time to get to know these guys, he feels like, because he sees it. he says he sees it all the time where – a guy has a character issue or isn't going to fit, and he can see it, and it's like, why can't these teams figure this out? And this is certainly not exclusive to the Vikings. I mean, we see teams miss on these guys all the time. But, you know, as, as he said, there's something flawed in the process where you spend all of this time going over the same information, and yet you're still having things fly by you that you miss. And, and maybe that process needs to be rethought as, as he was certainly advocating for. And I think that's an interesting thing to think about, but uh sports crunch, who is your nickel corner next year? Newman is going to be it. I, I think what they're going to think is, is they'll start Wayne's uh, and Rhodes on the outside. 
Newman will start inside to start the season, and okay. they're, they're going to become convinced that, that one of Newman's pet projects from day one of training camp is, is going to be to develop Alexander. Exactly right, because it, it fits in perfect with Zimmer's philosophy. That Now, the interesting thing, too, is there must have been a come-to-Jesus conversation between the head coach and Newman about what transpired on Christmas Eve in yeah, Green Bay. Yeah, let's talk about that. Uh, because that's the one the one reason why I thought he might not be back was you still. I still personally can't get past the point that going into a division game, you had a veteran player who, who Zimmer thought was his biggest ally tell Xavier Rhodes, don't worry about Jordy Nelson, I got him, coach isn't right here. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, and I had heard, I had a couple people tell me that they thought initially that Newman wouldn't be back because... Either you're ready to move on to younger guys, in the case of Trey Waynes, or because of that issue that it just sort of laid bare some things that, oh, maybe this isn't quite right. And then as we got closer to what happened today, I, you know, I kind of heard some things, well, maybe he'll be back. And, and it seemed like the the uh, the um, the ice had thawed a little bit, maybe. I but, think the uh, tone for Zimmer changed yeah, a it lot. Seemed to. When, when he was talking about, his handling of players at the end of the season versus at the combine, boy, that I mean, that's a one eighty from. Yeah. Shut up! Don't you guys even bring that up, or I uh, right? Well, it's probably or, a matter uh, of who's bringing it up to him, too. Yeah, that's, he's going to react differently to us than he is to his players. I that, would think. Yeah, no, that's right. And, and he I should. Mean, when being questioned about it, though, through the media in both situations, he said, "No, why would I even fix that?" Right? It was like totally well, dismissive. Yeah, I mean, he said. You're talking about his season-ending press conference? Yes, when he was asked about uh, changing his approach to players. Yeah, he did say that. You're right. He he said it's not managing the players that I need to change. I don't don't think it was maybe as dismissive as the way you're portraying it, but, Uh, but, uh, well, I mean, he said that is not really the area that I need to focus on. Which was incorrect. In the the context. Yeah, we all kind of gave sideways glances to each other at the time, I think. In the context of that press conference, though, there was a laundry list of things that he was talking about trying to figure out. Trying yep. to figure out the offense, trying to figure out the pass protections, trying to figure out the players' sleep schedules or something, right? Practices Practice and schedules, all these things. Yeah. So he's going down these things. We're looking at everything. We're looking at everything. And then when the question came up about the players, he was like, no, uh, basically, right? So it was, don't even ask me about that again or whatever. And then we got a pack of nonsense when it came to getting an explanation for uh, the cornerbacks going rogue. For Rogue One Series? Yes. And then what I mean is... I'm trying to make that a thing. When asked about it again, it was, well, after talking to all the players, they said, you guys were right. I didn't say that, but that's what came out, right? Well, they said there's some things that I got to change that aren't necessarily scheme, and we know exactly what he's talking about. So, but it's not that we were right, just right, to be very clear. Yes. We're never right about anything. No, definitely not. Um, we drafted Cordero Patterson, actually. But he, but he but, used you guys to get that to make that clear to every player. Yeah. Because once those quotes are out there, I, I mean – I mean that that at the combine was a completely calm environment. There was no re, he he didn't slip there. Right. He very consciously brought up something that he had attempted to sort of dismiss at the end of the year press conference and said, "No, I've thought about this now and I've been I've been talked to about it." So I found it very interesting that he used the media in that sense to make it very clear to players that he might not have talked to yet that I'm going to be a improved person yeah. as far as my people skills. So tying that back in, I think that's why you have Terrence Newman back. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think if he had dismissed Terrence Newman and that notion also that Terrence Newman would just play for somebody else. 
or not play. I or, suppose. or not right. He's probably got a few dollars in the bank. Yeah, but I'm he'll sure be he manages all... money well. Yes, if he treats it like he treats football yep. and wine and everything yeah, he else, he strikes me as probably. a guy that probably is pretty uh, conscientious. So about a lot of things. Uh, is is that to be believed with Zimmer or? From, from what he said? Well, just think, that he'll be able to make that change. I think we'll see. I mean, I, I, I think when things get tough, it's going to be very intriguing. Yes. Uh, but I think I think there were probably enough people that sat down w- with him, including players that he trusted after the year, and talked about everything. I mean, if you brought if you if you gave a smart person a play by play of how they acted under pressure, don't you think that Zimmer had to say to himself, "Oh my God, yeah, you're sort of right about that." I mean, just everything that started to go wrong. I mean, from from post bye week, when they lost one game and he flipped against Philadelphia, I think if you gave him a play by play, he would have to think to himself, "Ah, you're probably right." So I believe it. Now, here's where I think it's intriguing, though: can he do this when things get tough again? And and his buddy Parcells never had to concern himself with this because in Parcells' day. You could flip out completely, and guess what? Too bad for players. So I am very curious to see when there's adversity next year if he can stick with what he intends to do right now. I think his intentions are good, but the execution is going to be the key thing, and I think we'll only find out when things get tough again. Yeah, I agree, and I think it would be especially interesting if uh, they lose a couple of games to start the year, if there's some adversity really early on where it goes, whether they're able to bounce back or whether it goes completely in the tank. But um, there is a, a an interesting other solution to the nickel corner, which is I my guess would be uh, that they want to look at at least one other free agent. What do you guys think of that? Because there's a guy that Buffalo released who I'm familiar with, Mikel Roby Coleman, who's a good nickel corner. He's very much like Captain Munnerland. Yeah, and um, they've had some cursory conversations with him. He's a man-to-man type type of guy. Good. Um, He's pretty good at blitzing off the edge and things like that. It would almost be like losing Munnerland and putting in a new Munnerland who's maybe less entertaining. That'd be very smart. (laughs) So are are we talking about a three-year contract here at a reasonable deal, or what's the... The potential cannot, parameters, do you think? I can't, How good do you think yeah, he is? Yeah, I can't imagine that he'd be looking at a huge deal. I, I then I would definitely do that. Yeah. I, 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 would be, I would think that he would be looking for pretty much a short-term, halfway decent money. Contract. I think the question becomes this. When you, you brought Newman back, what was that conversation, right? I mean, what was that conversation? Because if you tell him, hey, look, Waynes is going to have to start because it's going to be year three, and Terrence will play you as our nickel, that still assures him, what, 67% of the snaps or something yeah. huge? Uh, I guess the next question becomes, would would Newman come back to sort of just be a backup at multiple positions? I don't know. But I think I think if they're smart, you definitely address th- that position. That's a starting spot now. So if you try and get by either on the cheap or, or you get cute with that spot, I think you potentially set yourself up for a lot of failure. I wouldn't want a 39-year-old guy as that starter. I mean, as much as Newman had a great year last year for his age, there is a wall that everybody hits at some point, no matter how hard you work at it. And uh, we've seen that with a certain running back that has been part of the conversation. It's a different position, but there there is an age curve for everything. And maybe, you know, if you're in the front office, just like with offensive line where you don't really address the depth last year. Yeah. Well, maybe in this case you want to address the depth as much as you can because you had Newman miss a game himself. You had Munderland go out for the game against Detroit. You had Xavier miss the first two games. 
people are going to get dinged up in that secondary. I think you want as much as you can back there, especially when stopping the pass is your meal ticket to being a top team. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Is there a pride problem here, though? Because Alexander is a Spielman slash Zimmer pick. Yeah, Zimmer so, really liked him. So if you if you sort of put him, back him up on the depth chart or start to have doubt about him, that's going to be a reflection on two people with a lot at stake and a lot of pride. So are we looking at a situation where they've convinced themselves that if they start Newman as the slot corner and Alexander learns behind him and now is open-minded potentially and is smarter about it, that would that would be my one concern is that you're talking about a couple people with high stakes in the game. And because I, I like I like your idea. I think that they should go and sign a veteran who can step in there. But we are talking about a lot of ego and people, not just one guy, but two guys who basically have banked on, on the fact that this guy was, what, a second-round pick yeah. and is going to be good. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think one thing I would give this this group credit for, this coaching staff certainly credit for, is that they have not been terribly um, adamant on playing players that were drafted highly simply because that's where they were drafted. I mean, we've seen them take their time with Treadwell. They took their time, with certainly with Patterson, probably to their detriment in some ways. Um, they took their time, certainly with Trey Waynes. They've done it with Mackenzie Alexander. They played an undrafted free agent and a fifth-round pick above two first-round players last year in free agent, uh, at wide receiver. So I think it's, for the most part, been a meritocracy. And, um, you know, I, I would expect that Good that words. will continue. But, uh, yeah, I mean, in in some cases, I don't think they have forced guys in their – or giving them extra playing time just because of where they were drafted. And you get the idea that they know. Like, the the worst thing that could happen would be with Mackenzie Alexander if they didn't know that there were some issues there. Yeah. That's when you can get yourself into trouble. Yeah. Or when you talk yourself into mm-hmm. it and convince sure. yourself that it will be fine. Yep. Which I am curious with the wide receiver position if they talk themselves into Treadwell being fine. That, yeah, that will be very interesting. That's a possibility. But with Alexander, I get the idea they know which would le- make me lean toward that they probably add someone else. And if it's that not Nikel, my sense as well. Yeah, if it's not Nikel Roby Coleman, there's there's uh, a guy from New Orleans, Sterling Moore. He was there kind of do it all corner. Mm-hmm. Gerard, Former Cowboys guy, right? Uh, yeah, Gerard yeah. Powers is another guy from Baltimore who's kind of that fill-in role. So there's like a handful of players out there that um, would be okay. And another position, Ben, there's not a handful of good players players out there do you know what position i'm talking about i would imagine you're talking about the running back position. that's correct there are a lot in the draft there are but not a lot in free agency not a lot in free agency Studies tell you that? other than one ladarius murray, latavius murray latavius murray i was thinking of ladarius webb yep. latavius murray and also adrian j peterson i don't know what his middle name is uh charles is his middle adrian name. c peterson no, it's not. A- Lewis. Adrian L. Peterson. <laughs> Just like I said. Really tried to think that up there. Is there a, I like it. There's no chance he's coming back, right? If they don't get Murray? <laughs> oh, boy. I don't know the guy's middle up, name. Did you just open up a Pandora's box for that question? I, I will, until the day he signs elsewhere or signs his retirement papers, gentlemen, I will not be convinced that somebody at Winter Park won't say, well, you know, he's still, I mean, come on, uh, it's Adrian. Let's just sign him again. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if he if he came back here sort of apologetic about all the stuff that's been said and willing to take a salary that the Vikings deem to be acceptable, I think it would be a huge mistake 
given what he can do well and what he doesn't do well, given the offense that they're going to run. But I'm not going to be completely convinced, Matthew, that the door is shut on this thing until Adrian is wearing somebody else's jersey. I really am not. There's just too many There's too many variables. There's too many people involved here. And that goes all the way up to the ownership of the Vikings. So I'm not so sure. Well, I feel like it's sort of slowly creeping in the direction that nobody wants to sign Adrian Peterson. And the it kind of seems that way, doesn't it? It certainly does. At the salary he wants, right, though? I mean, that's that's is that the determining factor right now? Is that why Seattle said, we'll, we'll sign a 600-pound Lacey <laughs> instead of... Uh, but everybody, 267 for one team. He can play Bob right again. guard. Honest but, to God. But everybody else is filling their spots, though. I mean, yeah. that's the thing is that everyone... He's out of dance partners. Right. Everyone talks yeah, to Adrian, true. and then they go, nah, sign somebody else. And with <laughs> And with this kind of draft class, I mean, you're talking about... Uh, I guess there isn't a football equivalent of a 10-day NBA contract yeah. for Adrian Peterson. Yeah. But, I mean, this is the type of triple uh, A contract that they give a guy who can't land anywhere else, and then he has to prove it in spring training. He's he, It's just hard to see anybody wanting to bring him in with the baggage and the age and the injuries, and there's one team that's going to be left with a whole lot of history. Yeah. I think then they'll be the only one left at the dance floor, and they'll have to decide whether they want to walk away or not. Yeah, yeah. It's a mistake, though. If they do it, I'm sorry. It's a mistake. Well, yeah. I mean, and you you feel like, if anything, I mean, the money is not going to be so much the issue at this point. It would be more kind of how does he fit. I mean, they never really answered that question, right? I mean, we tried to ask it a few different ways. Does he still fit in the offense? And there was kind of this tap dance that wound up in a response about, like, um, how they put the defense together, I think, when, when we asked Rick about it. Um, I mean, Latavius Murray, I think, actually fits pretty well. I mean, he's been a guy that has caught some passes. He has played out of the shotgun a fair amount in his career. Um, he's a guy that, that would seem like he would be more in line with what they want to do now than than other guys, certainly Peterson being one of those guys. Uh, it. We'll see if that gets done. Um, probably by the time people are listening to this podcast, we'll have an answer to that one way or the other. But he certainly would seem like a better fit for Pat Shermer's scheme than uh, than a lot of guys would. Something I noticed while taking a look at uh, a little Latavius, Latavius Murray film, he does this thing I didn't recognize with mine eye. It's What's called it? blocking. Pass. It's a big guy. He's protection. a big guy. No, you know what? He's really good He's at like it. 6'3". I mean, yes. th- this is not a thing that is normally that big of a deal with a running back, but Murray is really good at it. And, and he can play from the shotgun, too, from yes. what I've heard. Yes. Catches the and ball. He catches the ball fairly well. The thing with Murray, though, is when it comes to, like, seeing holes, things like that, yeah. running back things, he struggles at it. I mean, there's a He's reason. He's not Adrian in that regard. N- well, He's not Adrian with the feet. Like, yeah. He can't make a mistake and then jump cut seven yards in one yeah. direction and and then fly up. Adrian has a little bit of that, um, I guess, the best comparison in this regard. I mean, it's a little bit of the way Hendricks played guitar where it's like technically it's kind of sloppy, but he was so brilliant at what he does that he gets away with it and who yes. cares. But was is the key. Right. I mean, how, how well, Hendricks is, is dead, Judd. Is that left? Yeah. So, Hendricks has been dead since 1972. Right, but I'm saying that he... Simpsons fans will say someone needs to come pick up his dog. <laughs> I'm not a Simpsons fan, but that's funny. <laughs> so the the point, though, is with what Peterson's skill set was, 
how, how much of that is even left at this point? Yeah. I mean, he doesn't have and, – and I would much rather have a guy who struggles at times to see the entire field if he can pick up blocks. Because I want Sam Bradford protected, and I also want the ability for my offense to be as multidimensional as possible. Mm-hmm. And if I'm forced to just hand off to my back because he can't really catch, and I sure as hell know he can't uh, pass protect for my quarterback, now I'm put into a situation wh- where I'm not comfortable. A West Coast offense is what? It's short passes to the back, and it's asking the, ba- the back to block and occasionally run as well. So I would much rather go with a player who has a few deficiencies in one area but has two areas which I haven't had for my star back or my my main back for several years. Well, and, and at this point, the running back position is not really set up to have a star. It's it's set up to have a couple different guys that sure. can get the job done. I mean, it's almost like you know a bullpen in baseball where you you got you kind of have guys that are in your role that that fit as part of an ensemble cast, and none of them need to be thought of as these lucrative, high earning type players that that you have to build your entire franchise around. It seems like it's Headed more in that direction and, and uh, signing Latavius Murray and probably putting him in a tandem with Jarek McKinnon would, would be a big step in that direction, and, I would think. And draft a guy, too. Yeah, you probably. Dra- you draft somebody who might be the future running back yeah. with Jarek McKinnon and with Murray. I think that's pretty good. And that's kind of what Oakland did last year. I mean, they had the rotation and they had two backs who both got a 100-something carries and 400-something yeah. yards and... Uh, it worked out really well for them. And, and if all three play, great. Yeah. And now, of course, they had an offensive line that was one of the best in the league, and that would be my concern with Murray is that if he has to do anything more, then you might be a little bit in, in trouble with him. Just yeah. from, from watching yeah. tape, and then I also asked a, a writer who covers the Raiders, and he said kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they opened up some really big holes for him last year, so the interior of the Vikings offensive line is going to have to do the same thing for him. If they don't sign him, though, then what? That's an excellent question. And and Judd alluded to one possible answer to it. I don't trust him. If they don't sign Murray, they're still going to draft somebody. They've still got McKinnon, but at that point in time, I don't trust ownership of the Vikings not to – at least sniff around bringing Peterson back. I don't trust it, I which mean, is why I want the position filled does, with somebody Does else. the fact that they've brought in two other running backs after kind of hinting that they weren't going to look that much in free agency at the position give you some belief that they it might give, not do that, or is it just it gives, you think any time that there's still that open it spot? It gives me belief that football ops desperately wants to replace Peterson. Yeah. My problem is if football ops swings and misses twice – or three times, yeah. but certainly if they swing and miss twice, that ownership wouldn't come downstairs and say, shouldn't we at least consider this? And I think at the end of the day, as much as Rick operates on his own, I think Peterson's a different discussion, and I could see the Wilfs at least trying to involve themselves in that conversation. Uh, while we're on this subject, and I, this probably <laughs> ties back to an earlier conversation a little bit, Latavius Murray, of course, wears number 28. If he were to come in here, I would assume they do not issue him number 28. Or they might. Uh, you would assume not. Yeah. But now that Patterson is gone, number 84 is open. Yep. What do you do with that number at this point? Uh, at this point in time. I know what I think, but I want to hear what At you this think. point in time, I take it out of circulation, and I set up an eventual complete reconciliation with Randy Moss. Yep. And sooner rather than 
l- later, I hold a night for Moss or a day for Moss yeah. at uh, U.S. Bank Stadium, and I raise that puppy to the rafters. Do we know what is agree. the issue with Moss? I mean, after all this time, what is the issue? Well, I think part of it is in 2010, he came back, and it was a complete disaster. I think it was, it was a complete— And did not exit. No, I mean, he was yeah, here— in terms either. He was here—they they brought him back at a, at a fairly high price in 2010. Yep. He lasted less than a month. In that point in time, he uh, poisoned Percy Harvin— the locker room was already going poisonous. He made it worse. Gosh, that season. Uh, we should do an entire podcast with oh, you it's unbelievable. that season. And then Collar, he, uh, he basically... This is why 2016 doesn't hold up. He, he, uh, they played a game on Halloween Eve or so around that, that time against the Patriots. It was in November. I thought it was November. Yeah, maybe it's October Halloween. 31st. Yeah, or it, or it, it, was, it was the end of, of his stint. And they played the game uh, in Foxborough. And Belichick spent the whole game rolling his safety over to Moss. And Moss was not great at the time. I mean, he was not that big a threat. But Belichick wanted to make damn sure he didn't beat the Patriots. Uh, The Vikings didn't counter at all. Moss got incredibly frustrated. And after after that game is when uh, he he and uh, Fahutahi were the first two into the the, uh, locker room. And Moss looked at, at... Wilf and it was like Ziggy and Mark and a bunch of the Wilf family in the locker room and he he said y'all better get yourself a new coach bleeping coach because uh, this guy can't coach and just basically torture Childress and, the and next, then what did he do and the next day is the day that they let him you're go forgetting an important part of this with the caterer uh no the Which part? um the press conference in New England oh oh and then yes yes he went and and held his own press conference. Went to the podium, unprompted, basically, announced that instead of talking in front of his locker, he was going to go to the podium, gave one of the greatest, basically, tributes to the Patriots that you can give. Talked about Belichick and the Kraft family and how much he loved the Kraft family and how he missed New England. And the next day, Childress released him. Unfortunately for Childress, he didn't tell the Wilfs that he was going to do so. Oh, yes. And so that was... Uh, I think they came That's out the right. next week and beat the Cardinals, which saved Brad's job for a week, and then they got... Like, Favre had a big comeback. Like, Favre threw for, like, 440 yards. They had a comeback oh. against the Cardinals in that game. Yeah, and then... And then they got destroyed by, by the, the Packers, Packers at home. And the next day... They so fired they, they got destroyed on a Sunday by the Packers yep. at home. It was, like, November 22nd. And on the next morning, Childress was fired. But it was it was an awful ending. Moss was certainly at fault for a lot of it. The Vikings didn't help at all. Yeah, but I mean that was now seven almost years ago, and they brought him back to blow the Gallarhorn. Obviously, in a game where he was working for ESPN on Monday Night Football, yes. but the fact that was the first time he had done anything in a supportive capacity of the Vikings, I guess. Well, you and call he deserves it, since he had been gone. He deserves to be recognized yeah. for what he did from '98 through 2000. That stadium is not there. Yes, if without he him, cha- right? He helped change the league. Yeah. I mean, he helped. Tony Dungy's probably not in the Hall of Fame, if yes. not for Randy Moss. And the Green Bay Packers went out in, in 99 and drafted tall corners because they had a bunch of Smurfs trying to keep, yep. uh, keep up with Moss in that incredible game on that, that he had in 98, of 98. on Monday night. Yep. So, yes. Yeah, so what Randy Moss did for this franchise, the last game to be blacked out in this market was the regular season, regular season home finale in 97 against the Colts. Yep. And that was a playoff Vikings team, but that fan base had gotten old and sort of just gave up and didn't yeah. care. Randy Moss changed the game. 
and he changed the fan base in this town. The entire field should have game day his number retired at the Metrodome. And I don't like the guy. But yeah, he should have his number retired. But the entire field of game day at the Metrodome changed. I mean, and some of that was Red McCombs' first year. Well, yes. yes, but it got louder. It got yeah. more raucous. I mean, all of that stuff Huge that impact. we associate with the Metrodome being this crazy place where it's impossible to come in. A lot of it was Randy Moss because, I mean, yes, they wanted to crank up the energy. Red McCombs wanted to do that about the noisy stadium and the NFL pumping in all the crowd noise and all that stuff. But Moss raised the electricity in that building that to a different level. Moss. Yeah. Yes. All would have fallen flat. Yes. So do we think that Peterson's going to avoid a messy exit? I don't think it could get messier than that, really, when it comes to exits. Uh, but now you guys are going to top me with one, aren't you? But. Um, if, no, the, I, I think, the guy who wound up playing quarterback for Randy Moss in 2010. Yeah, I mean, yeah. not not messy exit from here, but messy exit to get here. Right, by um, way of New York. But with Adrian Peterson, how much was Rick Spielman, or at least you would hope that this was his thought? Just please sign with Seattle. Just please sign yeah. with Seattle. Then yeah. we could say, "Hey, good luck over there." Yep. Don't don't put us in a spot. Because some of his dad's comments already right. hinted at, well, he's not happy that the Vikings haven't given him an offer and yeah. he feels like he isn't being shown respect. Like, don't go down that road. The only way you mean not calling to go... his dad? Mm-hmm. Uh, but don't go down that road just means, uh, like, we don't have to be put in a spot where Adrian is in a room yeah. begging you to come back because Belichick doesn't want him. They got a good running back, Rex Burkhead. Keep an eye yeah. on that guy. Yeah. He's a nice little player. Yeah. Of course, and the, Peterson fumbles the, and can't catch yeah, him. Right. Back, so, so he's they're not going to do those that. Those things don't. They're probably not going to do that in New England. Yep. The Packers. It's like, who is left fit. even to take him? I Tampa mean, Bay, Tampa Bay. But the Vikings. Tampa Bay. The Vikings. The Giants. In, in this case, all sorts of old the Vikings Viking are not at fault today. here. Oakland. The Vikings have done their. In fact, if you can fault the Vikings for anything, it's bringing him back after 2000 and what? 14. 14. Yeah. And because that was a perfect time to say, you know what, Adrian, it's been great, but there's baggage here. We got sponsors quitting on us. We can't, we can't afford to take you back. And instead, they went back and sweetened the pot to him and flew down to Houston, and he was all mad. So if, if I'm going to fault the Vikings for not severing the ties when they should have, it's after 2014. But the Vikings are doing their best now. I just don't know. The Peterson camp, and it's not just him, the Peterson camp, doesn't seem to be able to let this go, and they don't have any idea that he's not worth that much. That's yeah. the, I, I think if he went to Seattle and said, okay, guys, I get it. Give me an incentive-laden laden one-year deal. I'll do it. He signs there. Probably. The problem is they're, they're shopping like he's still this 27-year-old franchise-type player, and they don't even understand that he no longer plays a position yeah. where you're not really considered a franchise-type player. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he is, he is a star probably still in 1978, right? 1982. Oh, yeah. yeah. But he's not now, and the league has changed, and nobody in the Peterson camp, because he's got a bunch of followers, sits him down and says, Adrian, look, just take what you can get. Yeah. And, I mean, that's going to be be the problem. I just don't trust the Vikings to say, you know what, we don't well, care, you're not a problem. So so prediction, yes or no, uh, the Adrian exit ends up being messy somehow. I say no. I think they've probably, hopefully, learned enough from at least how the Vikings will handle it. I, I think the Vikings have probably learned from the Moss thing, and they saw the way Favre left Green Bay. That should be instructive to everybody, right? I mean, the Favre thing should be instructive to anybody dealing with the departure of a star player that 
you probably don't need anymore, but you don't want to tell your fans that necessarily. I mean, Peyton Manning, I think, was cleaner than Favre, and and, uh, we've probably seen a few more that I'm blanking on since then that have probably been a little bit cleaner than that as well. Well, Favre was damn near impossible, though. Yeah, that was Favre. Because they went to Favre and said— I'm talking Favre from the Packers. You know, right, right. But I'm I'm saying the Packers, Thompson and McCarthy went to him. I think they flew to to Mississippi in April or something, though, again, and said, are you sure you're done? And he said, yeah, I I guess I'm sure, And because they had told— you know, Aaron, that he was going to be the guy. Right. And then in June, he calls him up and says, well, you know, I'm having second thoughts. I thought there was something where they they initially had gone down there and he said, yeah, I want to come back. And then he said, you know, like, no, I, I changed my mind. Go ahead without me. But and he said, kept All right, fine. We're going to make Aaron the guy. But my point is he just kept doing it. Yes. In this case, in this case, I yeah, just... Yeah, he put them in an impossible spot. In this case, uh, to answer the question, caller, I think the answer is this is not going to be messy from the Vikings, I think the Peterson camp will take shots. Yeah, yeah. I, think they, I really do. They, they could make have. it look messy. I think right. they're going to make this look like the Vikings were incredibly unappreciative to a player when that is complete BS. But yeah. here's the one difference between the two as we talk about it, though. Favre, when that happened, had just led the Packers to a season. I mean, I think it went 13-3. and three. It was a season that nobody thought they were going to be that good. They went to the NFC title game at home, and and darn near went to the Super Bowl, and they lost on a classic Favre playoff interception. But um, his goodwill was still really high. People thought, okay, he's going to come back. We're going to do it again. This team's on the rise. I don't know that Peterson has that degree of goodwill here anymore. anymore. So, I mean, he may try to overplay his hand, but I don't think it would be as effective as Favre was with a fan base that still was gaga over him in 2008. The one way it could end in messy fashion is if they re-sign him, even to yeah, a, even to a one-year deal. Oh, sure. If they yeah. sign him to a one-year deal, I would move my messy meter percentage all the way up into the red, and <laughs> like eighty-eight percent chance this ends really, really yes. badly. Otherwise, yes, I think that the the team can walk away feeling like uh, even if he takes shots, they could say. Uh, look, we just wanted to move on, and I think that will be taken fairly well by the fan base. Speaking of uh, ending things really, really badly, we're going to wrap this podcast up. We've been talking for for quite a while, and we've covered well, we quite a Judd. bit of ground. We did it's good miss to be Judd. back. It's we, good to be and there's back. There's a lot of there's a lot of things for the sports crunch to opine on, and there probably will be going forward as well as we continue into free agency. I believe a week from today already probably is the big uh, NFC coaches breakfast at the owners meetings in Arizona is it really i, I think so those are some good breakfasts yeah i've never been to waffle that. oh they're delicious yeah fluffy I'm, I'm eggs sure good. omelets first class made to order pretty much nice oh th- those breakfasts very are solid. so good and, and mike, pretty Zim- much? mike zimmer will be a lot of fruit uh, it's either I'm made sure to order or it's to, not it is and fruit too I'm sure Mike Zimmer will be happy to chat with whatever reporters are there, and we can react to have a spit cup out the things that yeah possibly a cup of coffee and a spit the cup the things that he uh, it says there, and we'll we'll keep you updated on the latest in free agency. Judd, stop making noises. That was my tobacco chewing. We'll talk to you next week. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for forty or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup, so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. 
Get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. And take your workout to the next level with accessories like non-slip grip dumbbells, a heart rate monitor, cycling shoes, and more. Peloton, motivation that moves you. This limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.